0: I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 146. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, tonight we're having a little bit of a snowstorm. I mean, it's, you know, three flakes, but to Oklahomans, it's a snowstorm. And so my son and I, uh, JJ side, or across his Zoom screen, even though he just lives 20 minutes away, because neither one of us really, particularly me, wanted to, to drive around tonight. But I am so honored to have my son with me. And um, my assistant, Rachel, uh, threw an idea at me today. And I said, yeah, let's go for it. So we're going to talk about why homeschool. And I thought I'd interview someone who's been homeschooled pretty much all their life and now he's homeschooling his four children. And so I think he's well qualified to hit hit this topic. So welcome, JJ.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. This is fun.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about if someone, you know, asked you out to lunch, you're a pastor, you have a lot of these you know, experiences with folks wanting to pick your brain about things. So one of the men at church, a uh, young, young dad took you out for lunch and said, so JJ, you know, our kids are four and five and we're, we're thinking about, you know, educational options. So tell me, you know, about homeschooling. Why, why do you think it's a good idea? What would you say? Excuse me.
1: Yeah, and and before I jump right into answering, I think the way you framed it up is helpful. Uh you and I uh have talked and you know, we don't want to have this podcast bogged down into these things, but as a pastor I have to give caveats, you know, people are always looking for other forms of righteousness besides Jesus. And so it's easy in especially in the church to think that if you send your kids to public school, you're being more missional, <clears throat> and if you send them to private school, you're doing a better job of positioning it for the future, and if you homeschool them, you're doing a better job of catechizing them and, and protecting them from, from things that could pollute their faith. And everybody's always getting into debates about which one is more spiritual. And of course, that's just not the right way to frame it up. So this is a more helpful way to think through it. This isn't so much an apologetic conversation as much as I do get asked that question a lot because I was homeschooled. And so people are doubly interested. One, they know that we've opted for that choice with our kids, but they also know that I'm a product of homeschooling. And so there is an element of fool me once, fool me twice. You know, it's like, well, if you've been homeschooled, you actually know a little bit of what you're getting into yeah. to decide to do that now as an adult. Uh, why would you? Why would you choose to re-up, you know, uh, so to speak? Um, and that is interesting. I've, this is purely anecdotal, but it is interesting that some people that were homeschooled will say, I will never homeschool my kids. And then many other people who are homeschooled are going, I can't imagine doing anything but homeschooling my kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think you probably agree. It's purely anecdotal, but those answers usually tend to fall yeah. along the lines of how those people were homeschooled.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't
1: agree <laughs> more. And then <laughs> they it, say,
0: I'm there's no way I'd homeschool my kids. I'm like, tell me more about how you were homeschooled. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and
1: and you know, not to not to shamelessly shill for, you know, your philosophy, but it does seem like people that broadly pursued your philosophy of homeschooling are often folks who want to re-up with their own kids it's true Um, and And they're in the seminar. they're coming you know that's
0: they come up to me and they say now i understand everything my mom did i didn't know where she got these ideas and how she knew about these books it was because of you and now i'm doing our kids and right Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so i think it is encouraging i think we're seeing some second generation folks like myself where you guys, as our parents, were sort of on the bleeding edge of, is this legal? And are we going to regret this later? You know, you were a former school teacher, you had your master's in education. This was sort of a brave new world for you. Now, my generation, this doesn't really feel that risky, one, because we're the product of it. And we went off to college and got decent educations and, and have now experienced our homeschooling as a great benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, So the conversation shifted. But that's the first thing I have to say, people are either saying never again, or I can't wait to get to do this with my kids. And it really often relates to how they were homeschooled. Um, So I think that speaks a lot to your philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of times coming out of the gate, if that dad's asking me those questions, I'm going to have to address some of his fears and misconceptions, you know, first that they're not qualified to do it. And of course the answer is they are, they are qualified to do it far more than they realize Mm -hmm. the people underestimate the power of student to teacher ratios People underestimate the power of presence and organic relationship uh, when it's your mom who you love, who's also your teacher uh, that gives unique superpowers to that mom Mm -hmm. and it unlocks unique superpowers in that child. Mm. You know, so people underestimate the power of that dynamic for learning. Yes, I think. And so it's kind of sad that parents are often so scared and feel overwhelmed when the truth is they're going to do a far better job than they would assume. Uh, by virtue of some unique assets they have that even a teacher of the year wouldn't necessarily have by virtue of not being the parent of that child. Relation.
0: You know? They don't have That's the relational right. That's right. You know, investment that That's right. you have.
1: That's right. And who's who has studied a particular child more than that parent? You know, That's And true. you think about learning styles and personality and uh, how people's energy ebbs and flows and how somebody best receives communication or how you inspire and motivate them. Um, And I think a lot of times parents are uniquely qualified to be that person in a child's life. So that's to speak, I think, to some of those fears and misconceptions Mm -hmm. that to homeschool is to sort of roll the dice, you know, Mm -hmm. and you might find out later that you were really bad at it and now you've ruined your kids and you can't undo it. I just think that's overblown. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. The thing that I tend to think of first, whether or not I say it first, is that homeschooling has this powerful potential to introduce your children to learning as something they do rather than something that's done to them. Yes. Uh, Something very active versus something passive. And that's not to say that anything you do in public or private school is automatically passive, but there's something unique about homeschooling that creates an active dynamic for kids of exploration and provoking their curiosity and allowing their interests to run in directions that their curiosity is pulling them. Uh, things that even if you're the best teacher in the world, the the limits of time and space don't allow you to indulge for thirty students.
0: Mm-hmm. But when
1: you've just got a couple kids and 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 they want to slow down and and look closer to flower, or they want to go and read a second and a third and a fourth book about Abraham Lincoln because he's really piqued their interest, you have that freedom and flexibility. And I think what people underestimate is that when you when you build that muscle or feed that appetite of curiosity and self-directed learning, it gets stronger. Mm -hmm. And so we always want to ask ourselves, is our learning model, whether it's at home or in a more formal institutional setting, is it actually strengthening curiosity or is it diminishing it? Yes. Because, because commencement when, you know, if you go on to to uh, college Mm
0: -hmm. or even
1: postgraduate education uh, it's been said you know too many commencement speeches it's a tired illustration but it's not meant to be the end of your education but it's meant to be the commencement of your education your education is meant to now kick off you've been given the tools and you're now supposed to spend the rest of your life being really curious about every job that you take on every vocation you step into yeah. And so we have to ask, are, are our learning institutions inoculating kids against learning mm. or are they, are they instilling in them a lifelong passion yeah. to continue, to continue and learning?
0: In light of that, talk to me about how homeschooling and your childhood shaped your relationship and your feelings towards books.
1: You know, we've told the story multiple times. Uh, there was a season where You sort of wisely allowed me to to go explore private school, you know, out of this fear that I was missing out uh, in this way or in that way. I won't get into the details, but you you sort of non-anxiously allowed me to do that. And what was so interesting in the contrast of transitioning into a really good school with some great teachers, some world-class teachers whose names I still remember, um, was the limitations I immediately encountered. Oh, what book are we reading this semester? Oh, I've already read that book three times. That <laughs> happened in seventh grade. And this grade, you semester,
0: know. and you would have read yeah. it in a day.
1: That's right. And even worse, we're going to ruin your appetite for this book because that's now right. we're going to fill out worksheets. That's right. Asking and I how sack. you felt after you read <laughs> chapter three, you know, and of course, any good self-respecting reader is going to think, well, that's none of your business, how I felt, you know, <laughs> just leave right. me alone. Quit ruining my, one of my favorite books, you know, yes. by dissecting it. EB yes. e. E. B. White you know, author of Charlotte's web, also famous essayist uh, writing from New York and Maine, you know, EB White famously said, humor is like a frog. If you dissect it, it dies. And, uh, and, you know, that's true for books. I think sometimes a, a good book can die while it's being dissected. So I noticed that right away, that some of my, the books I loved were being ruined. I was also being forced to read books I already read and was therefore being prevented from reading other books I hadn't. And then, because I spent so much time in textbooks, which if you want to inoculate someone against the love of reading and make them read textbooks, you know, who, who gets in bed after a long day at work and thinks, man, I can't wait to crack open a textbook. you know. <laughs> so by the time I got home, not only did I have homework, not only was I coming home late because of basketball practice, but I had my nose in the kind of books that make you want to read less all day.
0: That's right, And so I
1: noticed immediately that my reading for pleasure significantly dropped off in that setting, even though it was a great school with great teachers. So there's something about homeschooling where, again, you're not reading a lot of textbooks and you are reading for pleasure probably a little bit more Mm -hmm. that actually invites you to read more. And the more you read, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more curious you become. So I remember feeling saddened by that when I was in that setting. Oh, I'm not reading for pleasure as much, even though I'm working hard, I'm learning a lot, I'm doing a lot of homework. I've got great teachers, they give great lectures, but I know that reading for pleasure is in a sense, the gateway to learning. Yes. And I'm doing less of that in this environment. Whereas whenever I'm homeschooling, I'm reading for pleasure a lot more. And I already am old enough to realize that's really the gateway into discovery and self-directed learning, because you can pick up a book and teach yourself almost anything, but you have to want to, and you have to have been instilled with an appetite to do that.
0: Yes. So let me tell you a fun story. I don't know if you remember this. So our then pastor and also your professor, Dr. Lyle Dorsett and Mary were having dinner at our house one day in the dining room. And Dr. Dorsett said to me, that you were the best prepared student he'd ever had in all of his years of teaching. He was about 65 at the time. And I, and he was trying to praise me. And we were sitting in our dining room, which we had made into a library. You know, we had all the bookshelves built, floor to ceiling in the library, I mean, in the dining room. And I just said, well, Lyle, I didn't do anything. JJ just read every book in this room and some of them three or four times. And see, that's the simplicity of it. It seems so like, oh, come on. But it truly is why you were prepared and why you were well-educated and why you loved learning. When a lot of kids get to um, a school like Wheaton, where he was a professor, and they're burned out. And yeah. so, you know, they
1: understandably a- after a lot of AP classes and that's right, lettering in three sports and and doing college prep work. And, you know, yeah, by the time you get to college, you're like, man, I'm exhausted. I feel like I'm about 40 years old, you know, exactly. Yeah. But you,
0: you know, you had such a love for books. As you know, we live very close to the library. And when we drive by it, if we weren't stopping, you would kind of point your finger as we drove by and go, ah, because every time we drove by, you wanted to stop there. And if we were at the library, you would, in the course of just driving that, I don't know, half a mile, you'd already have read one of the books from the library as a little boy, you know, driving to our house. Like you inhaled books. And when you didn't have something to read, you got very crabby. Because well, and it it's it's power.
1: important. It's probably important for us at this point to also name for people that I was a flesh and blood uh American boy just like any other American boy I spent lots of hours outside playing tackle football with my friends until we made each other cry and played basketball in the driveway and you know making bows and arrows and and shooting our neighbors and you know (laughs) all those kinds of things um if you know to get really personal if I'd been allowed to have a Nintendo like most of my friends you know I wouldn't have read as many books um if we'd had all the cable channels I wouldn't have read as many books a lot of times I was reading out of desperation because there wasn't anything else to do. Right on. But and of creating course over time. That's right. And bo- so yeah, that's, that's probably the, that yeah, I scribbled that down here. I think that's one that we could talk for an hour and forget to mention, but the older I get as a parent, um, yeah. I'm quicker to give that answer. So I think self-directed learning and creativity are, is my first answer. Yeah. But I think my second answer would be boredom. I'm seeing it now with my oldest child who's 13. I, you know, I'm not by any means an expert in parenting. I haven't launched any of my kids yet, but I've now got a kid who's old enough that we're getting to kind of see some of the fruit of living this way. And she started her own business. She's bought a lot of her own things with her own money. Mm -hmm. And I could have never predicted that she would have come up with this business. It takes a lot of downtime and creativity and quiet for her to create the things that she (laughs) creates by hand. It takes a really high level attention span that i Probably wouldn't have, mm-hmm. but what what I'm struck by as I see her engaging in that is to think, you know, what she's a smart girl, she's driven, she's a firstborn girl. If she was in a private school setting, she'd probably be doing fine. She'd have a lot of friends. She'd probably play one or two sports. She'd be involved in this or that club. She she is in theater. She acts, you know, in a, in a local uh, Christian uh, theater group. Sort of Christian theater group, you know. So sure, she'd probably be doing a lot of the same things at school. But her time would not be her own, and she'd bring <laughs> home homework. She'd be there many hours a day. It would just take longer for her to do what she's doing at home in much less time. She wouldn't have this business that involves creativity and making and selling things. She's been allowed to stumble into that through having free time. Yes, and you know it's like that's just a lost <laughs> thing in America. And publications like the Atlantic, the New Yorker, New York Magazine. Um, uh, I'm reading in these magazines. Uh, that are starting to mourn the loss of free time and boredom for children, yes. and kids are beginning to exhibit symptoms of anxiety because at that age, developmentally, they weren't designed to have 16 hours of their day already mapped out for them. Exactly. You know, they need to have downtime. They need to be bored. Yes. Uh, no, no homeschooler should start their day at noon. We're not advocating laziness or sloth, but but kids actually need more sleep than they're getting. You know, they're staying up too late. They're getting up too early. They're living the life that you could maybe be living in graduate school as a well-rested 24-year-old whose body stopped growing. But they're doing this at 13 when their bodies are still growing and they're chron- chronically sleep-deprived and they, and they every moment of their day is booked up. And yeah. so it's really hard for a kid to stumble into a home business or to find a hobby.
0: Do you know what I believe is the most impactful thing you can do to help you on your homeschooling journey? It's attending an in-person seminar. These exciting days have the power to transform your homeschooling experience. I invite you to come to my upcoming live seminar in Loma Linda, California on Sunday afternoon, February 5th, to be refreshed and encouraged. I'm especially excited to tell you that my son, JJ, will be joining me. J.J. was homeschooled himself, is a pastor with a doctorate degree, and now he and his wife are using the very same methods with their four children. You don't want to miss the chance to hear his perspective and insight. After the seminar in Dallas last fall, one parent wrote to us and said, After going to Carol's seminars for over 12 years, there hasn't been a time when I haven't gleaned something new from her teaching. Having JJ join her only strengthened her message. It was life-giving in so many ways. JJ and I will each teach two sessions of my basic seminar, a literature-based approach to education. Then we'll end the day with a panel discussion where you can hear from other seasoned homeschool parents. Visit my website, caroljoysi.com slash upcoming seminars to learn more and register today. Early bird registration ends January 25th. I really hope to see you there. Now back to the show. So let's segue to that. Let's talk about nature and its place in children's lives in creating that downtime and that rest of their
1: mind. Yeah, you go first. What are you thinking of when you make that connection? Uh, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of Richard Love's book, um, Last Child in the Woods, and what his research that he's gathered shows about dealing with like anxiety for children, depression, ADD, ADHD. And he even wrote a book called Vitamin N, saying that nature was the cure all for so many of the things we're seeing in our children, with the um, up in anxiety, depression, you know, all these things, where does nature yes. fit into creating margin in children's lives?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we live in the suburbs, and so again, we have to be more intentional. But we tried to buy a house that at least had some trees behind it and some places for our kids to occasionally catch a frog and yeah. dig holes. You know, I've never seen my my boys happier. I have a six year old boy. And two eight-year-old identical twin boys, and then a thirteen-year-old daughter. My three boys, the happiest I've ever seen them in their entire lives, is when they were allowed to take shovels out of my shed and dig a hole deep enough to like stand in. You know, just outside the boundaries of my yard. You know, that whole two feet one direction might have meant the end of their lives, but you know, two feet the other direction was like okay. You know, you're in a flower bed somewhere. But uh, but they dug this hole. And then, and then another mom came over for a play date whose whose kids are in school, and I knew they were coming over that afternoon. And uh, and by the time I got home, I saw that that uh, her boys had been introduced to the <laughs> hole, and both kids were energetically digging in this giant hole while the mom stood nearby and talked. And I just thought, you know, in our modern age where we're all, thinking, I wish I had enough money to buy my kid an iPad so that he could get into Harvard. You know, and it's like if you only knew that it, all they really want is a shovel and a place where they can dig a hole without being murdered by their parents. <laughs> you know, so it's like kids really love being outside. They love getting dirty. Yes. Um, they love finding bugs and catching things. Yes. And then there's all this other magical stuff happening that they don't need to know about like breathing fresh air and getting sun on their face and 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 wind and the feeling of vastness when you look up and see the sky instead of a ceiling and looking around and seeing things God created and not man-made things like walls and lamps. Yes. Um, so there's all these benefits. I've noticed my patience for my children is higher when we're outside. Yes. Because indoor spaces are not really made for little boys. Right. So in my house, which isn't even really that nice, like we've got a couple nice things, like we have this one couch that's pretty nice, you know, if I was going to rob me I'd probably try to load up that couch. (laughs) And then there's not too many other things, you know, we joke, there was a time where where our daughter heard a raccoon jump on the trash can in the middle of the night outside her window, and she thought it was robbers, and she had a hard time sleeping, I I hope that she would be embarrassed by the story but But, you know, the irony is what helped her was me explaining to her one night, Isley, you know, nobody's really going to want to rob us. There's not there's not really that many nice things here. You know, (laughs) if a robber came in, he'd be pretty bummed out because it's mostly books, you know, and she's like, you know, dad, that's a good point. And then she slept better after that. She's very rational. You know, she didn't want me to give her a devotional or read her a song. She just wanted me to explain. We don't really have that many nice things. I don't think anyone would work that hard to try to rob us. You know, she was like, good point, dad. Good point. But but uh, all that to say, when they're in my house, I can get mad at them much easier. You know, the don't boys. break that lamp. Yeah, you know, Don't knock boy. that over. Don't stab the couch. But you put them outside. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, they're such good boys. You know, That's it's right. Like, because... In nature, outdoors, it's You're so harder for them to do something wrong. Sure. And their energy looks far more appropriate because it is appropriate. They're meant yes. to run around and, yes. and skin their knees and climb trees and, and yes. chop things and throw things and dig. And and so I'm sort of chastened every time where it's like, hey, JJ, your job as a parent is to say, hey, let's go outside, you know, and because I'm tired and I want to sit on the couch and read, I'm not thinking yes. that way, but, but they, they need they need me to, to lead them outdoors and help them enjoy being outdoors and have fun outdoors and and uh fall in love with being outdoors whether that's in our yard or whether that's going on a nature hike or what i've done with them now the last two years now that they're getting older which is i take them on wilderness expeditions you know which is a big undertaking and it takes a long time to plan the menu and get enough gear together so none of us freeze to death and on this last trip my six-year-old tried to get himself lost in the wilderness and his brothers came around to rock and found him crying and you know that taught him that oh yeah you need to listen to dad and he says don't run off but but uh you know i once a year at least we try to actually go on a wilderness expedition um, and it's worth it you know they're just filled with wonder when we're out there Mm -hmm. everything's exciting to them and we're filling up our water bottles to run through the water purifier and they look up and a bison you know walks into the pond where we're filling our bottle and And they're watching the sunset while we eat dinner and they're scrambling up these 2000 foot hills and they feel like they just climb Mount Everest. And, you know, it's like um, it takes effort to do those kinds of things that I often feel too tired to do. But I know in the back of my mind, it's worth it. And then they spend the rest of the year talking about that trip Mm -hmm. and it, it shapes them. You know, so last year I took the now eight year olds. And left Brinker because he was still five. You know, this year Brinker knew this was his first year that he got to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he was just in. I mean, he talked about it all year. I know, but being out there with all three boys was pretty amazing. You know, the first night, Ryle and Schaefer were in the tent. It's a small tent, and so uh, Brinker and I slept in bivy bags under the stars, and it was <laughs> you know like twenty mile an hour winds. It was very cold. It was very unpleasant, but he was in a really expensive, well made uh, down sleeping bag, and so i keep rolling over and. Peek in at his face, pinched <laughs> up in the mummy bag, and I'd be like, "You doing a good, buddy?" And he'd smile and nod. You know, oh. he was—he was so happy oh. to brave the elements. You know, it's like boys, girls, kids <laughs> are made to be outdoors. Um, but we live in a world where you have to be really intentional sometimes to make that yeah. happen. What, tell the story about um, Susan Schaefer McCauley and the weekend nature hikes, because that yeah. always helps me when yeah. I fall into self pity about the fact yeah. that God. Has called me to live in the suburbs. You know, I'm going, man, Lord, you know, I live in a landlocked state, you know, in the suburbs. This is not an easy place. So I always try to remind myself of the story you tell because it's a reminder that we can all be creative wherever we live.
0: That's right. So Susan uh, and Ranald McCauley were running the LaBrie in London and had no money, no car, no privacy. They had people with them every meal and living, you know, in the manor house there in Gretham, England. And (laughs) Excuse me. Um, And they had one day off. And on that day off, they would buy a a bus token or whatever you call it in, in, in England. And they would take that bus till the next transfer one, take that to the end of it, then take another one to the end of it until finally for that one bus token, they were really more in the country. You know, they weren't in London anymore. And, um, and they had their kids and we used to have when you were little, like an aluminum backpack that you carry your child in it's, you know, it's, it's like a backpack. Um, And, and each child had their job, you know, you carry the books, you carry the food, you carry the water, I'll carry the baby, whatever. And they had a rule for every year of your age, you had to walk one mile. So, if you're a two year old, you walk two miles. If you're a three year old, you walk three miles, but it wasn't all at once. So, they would walk a little while and then they'd have a snack. And then they'd walk a little while and then they'd read a book. And then they'd walk longer and then they'd have lunch. Then they'd walk some more and then they'd take a nap under trees. And then they'd walk some more and get back to the bus, you know? And they had this whole ritual of creating nature in a very urban way setting where they had very little freedom because they didn't even have a car so they were kind of and they had to be back so they couldn't take like a train you know to oxford or something they had to be back and so in one day they gave their children a nature experience they built their children's strength and stamina and gave them like a sabbath away from ministry because yeah. they were sharing their parents all week long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was a time where they had their children, their parents completely to themselves.
1: And for listeners who don't know, this is the adult daughter of the famous apologist, Francis Schaefer and his wife, Edith Schaefer. And I just finished reading a biography of, of Schaeffer and, and their kids often talked about having to share their parents with other people. So I think Susan probably was even more intentional when mm-hmm. she became an adult to not necessarily repeat some of those mistakes of going, Hey, we want to really get away and give our children our full attention. So, yeah, that's, I love that story. I wouldn't have known it if you hadn't told it to me, but I think it's really encouraging because it's a reminder that wherever we are, we can be creative exactly. um, and make an effort. And, and studies have come out that show that even uh, doing something like that once a week, even if that's the most you can do uh, reduces cortisol levels uh, to such a noticeable degree that it lasts for an entire week, which I think (laughs) pairs well with your story. You know, you put your kids on a nature walk and for seven days, their cortisol levels in a lab would be detected to be far lower for seven days. So just one nature hike a week Mm -hmm. has chemical impact in your kid's body the whole week, you know, so all of us can do something, uh, even if we can't do everything, uh, even if that means take them to a park to feed the ducks, but you know, there's ways that we can be creative with the time that we have, even as a single parent or someone who works two jobs or who's in a highly urban environment uh, and has to use public transit. You know, we can be creative and we can expose our kids to nature Well, I know that we're pretty much out of time. Why don't, why don't we each give a few quick hits of additional things we haven't named? How does that sound? Um,
0: well, I wanted to last thing I wanted to talk about, let's see if we can close with this is yeah. You know, Dr. Moore taught Danny and I that work was the key to everything, that if you want to build character, if you want godly children, if you want children that will be successful in life, teach your children how to work. And I have seen the benefit. I'm just going to tell a fun story on you, JJ. Don't be embarrassed about this. But when you were at Bible college.
1: As long as it's not a story about me pooping my pants or something like that. No, no,
0: (laughs) no. (laughs) Okay. Okay. No, it's when you were at Bible College over the summer and you worked on the construction crew. You worked for a precious man who is also a pastor. He's bivocational vocational called Manny, and he had you uh, in 110 degree heat in the high, you know, well, is it called high desert where the Bible College was or Inland Empire? I don't know what you. Yeah,
1: call so it. the Inland Empire about a, about an hour in from Orange County. Yeah, okay. about an hour, in, but yeah.
0: much, much, much hotter mm-hmm. than Orange County. And you were digging ditches with a pickaxe. Um, so they were doing like um, landscape. Concrete,
1: concrete construction. Yep.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when it was time for you to leave, to go to college after you graduated from the Bible college, um, they wanted you to stay and work there full time. And, and you were tempted because it was just, you were in your element, you know, and oh, and the other guys had all quit. You were the only one that made it through the whole summer. Because- one of the
1: only, one of the only ones. Yeah, okay. this is this is growing into legend. But you're right. There were some people that couldn't hack it, and there were some guys that stuck it out. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So I remember yeah. Manny telling me this. So <laughs> you no, know, he told me about it. So the point is, JJ, that at the end of this summer, yeah, Manny took a basin of water and called you into the shed where you guys all, you know, got your tools Mm. and everything. And all the men were in there, the the staff guys from the construction crew, and they all washed your feet and spoke prophetic words over you and prayed over you. And they were crying. Mm. And I think, you know, that is the fruit of Dr. Moore, because I would have not known how important Teaching a child to work is. He used to say to us, Your children can work as soon as they can walk. Yeah. And and that Maria Montessori said, Work is a child's play. They Mm -hmm. want to work, but we rob them of that because obviously it takes longer. They make a mess. You know, they're trying to be helpful, they break the dishes. But Dr. Moore used to say, put away the good dishes and get out the plastic dishes and let your little toddlers unload the dishwasher. They can do it. They're dying to do it. And your, your kids are dying to cook. And I can remember when you were a little boy, we'd put you in your high chair and put a bowl on top of your high chair and we'd pour the ingredients in and you'd stir even before you you know were old enough to stand on a stool. And so the importance of work is the other piece that, you know, I just wanted to emphasize because I have seen people fight over you for you to work for them. Like when you were a teenager and Mm -hmm. and because you had a work ethic um, things like you had to walk our golden retriever twice a day in hail sleet (laughs) snow, (laughs) rain, but nobody else could do it. Like that was you, that was your job. Nobody else ever did it for you. And just how that has created a work ethic in you now that you know, I think your family are reaping the benefit of, and everyone who well,
1: has. well, that's kind. And I don't, I don't know if I had a, a, a truly unique work ethic, maybe amongst uh, other homeschoolers. But I, I will agree with you that homeschooling provides unique opportunities to be exposed to work. Mm-hmm. And, and when I do think back to those high school years, I apprenticed with a master cabinet maker. I apprenticed with a master painter, yeah. and I don't use that term master lightly. These are some of the most skilled tradesmen I've ever met. True. And they, they were, you know, working in multi million dollar homes yeah. for highly affluent clients because they were the best at what they did. And it was fascinating to learn from them and apprentice with them and watch them work. And those were jobs that I was able to do uh, almost in a journeyman kind yeah. of setting because of some of the availability in my schedule. Um, and it created some unique opportunities. Even before I had a driver's license, these guys were either picking me up or you were driving me to work with them. And it, it just opened up new worlds for me in the trades and I still remember some of the things I learned from those men and the great respect that I have for men who work in the trades and work with their hands. Yes. Um, and, that, and homeschooling afforded the margin and the flexibility and the, and the creativity to even be exposed to those things at that age, mm-hmm. um, at an age where a lot of kids haven't even had a job yet. Um, so that was beautiful. And, and uh, the last thing I wanted to say matches up nicely with that, which is just spending more time with adults yes. and spending more time with your parents. Um, what, what homeschooling does is not so much radical as it's the restoration of a balance that's been reversed, which is for most of human history, you spent far more time with your family growing up than you did with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And now people are writing constantly, uh, in magazines and in newspapers about how little time parents spend with their kids. Uh, that it's often an average of 15 minutes a day is now what people are saying you know, 15 minutes a day of of actual attention that a parent is giving to a child. And we know that we come home from jobs where we're tired. The world can feel impossible. You don't feel like you have a lot to offer. Dipping into a screen, looking at something on your phone is a constant temptation because you're exhausted and that offers an escape. Mm -hmm. And paying attention to a kid can feel draining. And yet what that means is that we're spending even less time with our kids than we ever have in history. Yeah. Uh, Because now screens are even competing for that little bit of attention that was there to begin with. Uh, So again, homeschooling is not inherently superior, but it offers a unique opportunity to reverse that dynamic where you're now spending more time with mature adults who actually teach you how to be kind and to cultivate virtue and to work hard and to not complain, as opposed to spending the majority of your time with your peer group a group of people who frankly are not really great at any of those things yet That's because right. they're still growing and learning mm-hmm. and what and if you sat in a room full of those kids your first thought would be man i wish i could take all these kids and put them around some mature adults so that you they know. would rub off on them. you know and so homeschooling opens up some unique opportunities to get to do that that should that should not be taken for granted
0: you're right you're right and as i travel the world with homeschool families 35 years of knowing them homeschooled teenagers are the joy of my heart. They look you in the eye. They have respect. They call you Mr. Mrs., you know, whatever the case may be. They're unpacking the books before the seminar. They're running very often the book tables, the seminars, and they think it's a privilege to do that. And I just love homeschooled teenagers because they're the hope for our future as a culture.
1: Well, and I have to say, I mean, this will be my one hot take. I think as a pastor, diplomacy is an important part of my job. But if I was going to have a hot take, it would be this. We still are talking about socialization after all these years, which is which is so silly because no one is more socialized than a homeschooler. Uh, where in society do you encounter age segregated herds? as one author said. Mm-hmm. You know, homeschooling actually brings you into contact with people of different ages and different backgrounds in a way that prepares you for the real world, because that's what the real world is like. You don't hang out with seventh graders when you're 42, you hang out with young and old, Mm -hmm. rich and poor, people from all different backgrounds. Homeschooling prepares you for that really well. But I think the irony is sometimes if people are really honest, they're afraid that if you homeschool, your kids won't be cool. And -hmm. when they say socialize, I think sometimes that's become code for cool. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna say, if you're an employer, how often are you worried about whether or not the people you hire are cool? (laughs) And how often are you worrying about whether or not they have a work ethic and have virtue and integrity and character? Uh, So it's just, we've we've got it all backwards. It's like, I think coolness is overrated and Mm -hmm. I think virtue is underrated. Mm -hmm. And I think homeschooling, uh, your kids, ironically enough, probably will end up being cool, Mm -hmm. but that's not our target. We're not aiming at being cool. You know, the kind Mm -hmm. of socialization we're aiming at involves the cultivation of virtue. And the ability to relate to almost anybody. And I think if that's our definition, homeschool kids are positioned really well.
0: They really are. And the research shows, shows that homeschool kids are the most socialized of all children in America. So who socializes you? Oh, your parents, duh. Like other two-year-olds don't tell other two-year-olds how to share, and other sixth grade girls don't tell them each other how to be kind. Like that's right. We are mentoring and discipling
1: our children for the kingdom of god and And whether
0: better than we can
1: that's right and 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 again whether you're in private school public school or homeschooled, ask anybody who is formative in their growth and formation they're not going to tell you about their buddy charles from seventh grade (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna point to teachers coaches bosses and mentors who took a particular interest in them and who were self-sacrificial It's always adults that are cultivating virtue and offering counsel and wisdom to young people in formative stages of their life.
0: So true, JJ. So well put. Well, I could talk to you forever, but I'm excited you're coming with me to a couple of seminars to co-teach. February 5th, you're gonna be with me in California, April 29th in Minneapolis, Minnesota at Grace Church. And I just feel like you are strategically placed Having been homeschooled with this method, and now homeschooling your own children with Kristen, um, you can speak from both sides, you know, of the river here. And I'm excited to team up with you. And I'm old and tired, and you're young and high energy, and I think it's going to be it's going to be fun. So, thank you, son, for being with me, and thank you, listeners, for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. I love to help families homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. When you help me get the word out about what I'm doing here, I appreciate it so much. Until next time, remember, Jesus' commandments are not burdensome. What he calls you to do, he will enable you to do. Blessings.